0: Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And And this this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback, and my guest today is Dustin Boyer. Dustin is a math teacher and gym owner in Mount Vernon, Indiana. Today we chat about his experiences as an athlete, teacher, and coach that have shaped his philosophical approaches to training. Dustin expresses a wide variety of interests on the show from his family, to his faith, to reading, to his thoughts on speed work. Follow him on Twitter at dboyer16. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. All right, like like most of my guests, I, I find people through Twitter. Um, whether they're a strength coach, a speed coach, a gym owner, a teacher, physical therapist, whoever it might be, a lot of it is found through social media. How did you get started on Twitter, and how did you? And how's that experience been for you? Uh, what I have found with Twitter is that's where I can find basically
1: the best coaches out there that are sharing their knowledge. Yep. Uh, You've got Facebook, you've got Instagram. I think it, people are using Instagram a bit more. Uh, I got onto TikTok for a little bit, but that was about the most unproductive you know, 20 minutes. <laughs> so I still have TikTok. I don't get on it. So Twitter is my go-to now.
0: TikTok, I, I started one too, and I was like, I don't understand this. I get it if you're like a high schooler or something, but- I don't understand how I can add value to this platform or if I can take value away from it. So I've definitely stayed away from that, but I have found uh, a Twitter. I wish I would have started this, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, because there's so much, uh, like you said, people willing to share content. And I think Instagram will get more of the like self promotion, which is kind of just the nature of the app. But I think with Twitter, you get a lot of good discussions. You get a lot of conversations, you get a lot of more, I know you're limiting characters, but, you can get links to blogs and articles and podcasts. Um, have you found that as well, where you can go a little bit deeper and learning about stuff through, through a platform like Twitter?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because once you find you know, certain coaches you want to follow, I think it's interesting to see who they follow. You know, Who do they follow on their Twitter? And it gives you some
0: insights you know, you know, into their knowledge base. Absolutely. And then you just kind of go down these rabbit holes of like, oh, like I, I learned from him and he learned from you know, him and he, he, uh, you know, interned under her and, and she related to this person and, and you can spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but what first got you interested just overall in, in training, whether it's speed training, strength training, uh, you know, sport training, anything like that? Where did that that passion uh, develop from? I think
1: when I when I was growing up, sports was such a big Factor something I loved to do growing up. So I was the youngest of three boys. I was always trying to play with the older kids, whether it was basketball, baseball, any kind of sport. I was always trying to play with them. So I I loved sports growing up, and I played uh, everything that I could. And I finally, eventually, went into football, uh, basketball, and then baseball, which then transitioned. You know, my last year, my senior year of high school, went from baseball. We went to track. So. Uh, I love, I love that part. And I was fortunate to be, uh, I had some athletic abilities. I could jump really well. That was one thing that, you know, in, I I remember eighth grade, I could grab rim by freshman year. I could dunk a basketball. So I I had some abilities of jumping and running, you know, that I, you know, I, I were God given that, you know, I wanted to develop further. And you know I was able enough, fortunate enough to go play college football and, and then, you know, I had three strength coaches there, so I definitely started off when I was little. Though, you know, playing with the older kids.
0: Absolutely, I, I hear that story so often. Whether it's older siblings or it's just neighbor, you know, you're, you're a bunch of neighbors at your age, or your parents are really involved, and, and kids just love getting involved in sports. But I think at some point in our life, th- there can be a disconnect where we lose that that passion or that that uh, the normalcy to to love sports, and and I think it's a shame because we love it so much as kids. Why can't we love it as, as adults? Do you see that at all? Where kind of in that, uh, you know, early college, like late twenties where sports aren't, uh, as much of a passion and, and there's no, there's no reason they can't be. Well, uh, in my experience, when I went to college,
1: that, that was the the hardest thing was going from like three sports down to one.
0: So mm-hmm. you
1: basically all your eggs in this one basket, uh, you know, we, we, we could kind of go play pickup basketball, but we, we kind of shied away from that because, you know, if you got hurt playing college basketball and you're a football player, I mean, <laughs> coaches are not going to be happy with that. Um, and In football, it's it's year-round. So you're doing that sport year-round, whether you play in the fall. Your whole winter is based on strength and conditioning. Your summer is based on it. So it is it is a full year uh, based towards basically, what, 10 games in the fall? right.
0: It's, it's also hard to that, uh, that just that feeling of, of restraint, where it's like, okay, I, I can only do football now versus in high school, it's like, well, it's fall, like, I like football more and the winter, I like basketball more and, and spring, like, I want to go, you know, you get that variety. And it's a shame, because I think that even that, uh, you know, multi sports approach, which has been talked at at nauseum recently, but I think to to a good point is, uh, I think there is benefit to playing pick a basketball. I think there's benefit to, you know, working on your baseball swing and some of that stuff transferring over to, to other sports. And, uh, and I get the, you get the injury aspect and especially at the division one level where, uh, you're, you're getting a scholarship or an opportunity to, to perform for the school. But I wish there was a little bit, uh, a better, um, uh, access for, for some of those athletes to, to, to do other sports in their free time. Cause I think. In, adds to their development even later on in life and not just, just as kids. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, th- I think, uh,
1: especially with what I'm seeing now in the, in sp- the training and in, in sports, you know, it's, it's very similar to, you know, becoming almost more track like, you know, in the off season. So these guys are getting different stimuluses. If you look, let's go Alabama. You got one of the premier football teams every single year and, they are, if you look at what uh, I think his name is Matt Raya is doing down in Alabama, mm-hmm. how much, you know, emphasis he is putting on uh, speed and power into these athletes. And even here, uh, so I'm from Indiana. So um, Cameron Joe at IU, how much they're putting in to, you know, speed and power. So hopefully like those guys enjoy that training. You know, it's a, it's different than just, you know, I, I, traditional, you know, lifting heavy weights, you know, and then they still lift heavy weights, but they're going to jump really high. They're going to run really fast. So I would, when I look at that, and I, I would, I'm thinking like, man, I would really, really like that training that they're doing now.
0: Well, that's the biggest reason I keep saying this, probably on every podcast, why I love the you know track football consortium community, the feed the cats movement, the sprint based football, you know, time sprints. It just seems like it's more fun. It's more fun for me when I do that, some of that stuff. And I would just imagine for, for athletes, they'd be drawn to it more. Uh, It just seems like even if you got the same results as a different way of training, it seems like it's more fun. And with that fun, you get more commitment, more excitement, more energy, and more uh, adherence to the program. Growing up, what did your training look like? What things were similar? What things were different Uh, growing up? Talk to me about that
1: so training i started lifting weights when i was in sixth grade okay. uh a high school program we were going two days a week and actually when i look back at it the high school strength coach at that time was very different and ahead of his game because we did like our warm-up we did a lot of pvc stick work sure I, when i was doing it at the time i was like what the heck are we doing but you know i look back now and i'm you know doing pvc stick work with people you know teaching proper you know alignment or keeping the shoulders moving well by taking a pvc over and back we did med ball throws um and that's when i was young i i didn't quite get it and now it's kind of coming full circle so it's like the stuff i'm seeing now i had a early strength coach that was doing that for me when i was in sixth and seventh grade and then i had a, a couple other strength coaches um you know growing up that you know, really, really like I just love to lift. When I wasn't I love seeing muscles, I love because I was a skinny kid. I wanted to see, you know, some type of meat on my bones. So I took to lifting. I would I got ate up with it. So uh high school, I loved bench press. I got I was a skinny kid, but I, I was able to bench press 285 in high school. I remember that. That was like awesome. My buddy, my running back he was bench pressing three hundred And we were, it was like, it was just, like everybody was, you know, feeding each other, except for now, I kind of wish that was more, you know, pushed on getting faster instead of like increasing our bench press.
0: Absolutely. I think you have to fall in love and bench press uh, when you're a kid, you know, in middle school or the high school, if you're going to be a, a, a weightlifter or you're going to be a strength coach later on, I think that first hurdle, no matter who you are, or what you value is, is getting good at the bench press. Cause that's just, I don't know what it is about it the feeling you get or just the, the pump you get after or or what it is but i think everyone falls in love with that first and then they they progress and and uh evolve from there so i have a very similar story in high school It's just like all about the bench press, all about the upper body legs are okay we just had to do them but yeah. uh it's definitely a uh, change over time i like the pfc uh P- pvc pipe story too because i've worked with uh kind of that middle school early high school age and we've done. We've had programs where they Olympic lift and stuff, and some kids, you know, they came do the bar, and it's like, oh shoot, what do what do we do here? And I read an article where uh, USC football, I think, and this was like five or ten years ago, they they start everyone out with PVC, and once you once you master that, you you progress to weights. And I was like, wow, there's something to that. So it seems like you guys are way ahead of the program if you're doing that, uh, you know, that long ago. And I remember too, we brought uh, some some. Special- <clears throat> in
1: on a weekend and this was i don't know if we've ever done that since then when i was in high school a guy came in and taught us uh the clean Mm -hmm. and from that time like there were certain things that i still do today like i you know i point my elbows out on my clean you know i pull my shoulders back that i keep my arms you know as long as they can you know for as long as i can um and he he jumped our power cleans up so i love power clean too so not just bench press i love power clean i didn't like squat because i wasn't good at it i didn't like deadlift because i wasn't good at it so i found us in the bench and the clean and i still like cleaning too i like i like more of a hang
0: clean type but i agree i think a hang clean type uh for most athletes seems like a better option but um I think all athletes you know they they go towards what they like the most but i also think as coaches we kind of do we program and we like what we like or we like what we're good at and that's not always uh there are situations where might not, that might, that might not be the best for the athlete if we let's just say for example like you're against or you you're not good at the olympic lifts and you don't want to do them with your athletes is there because is there a better reason than simply you're not good at them? You don't know how to teach them. Um, do you ever see that when you're talking to other coaches or or even your own programs where you you veer away from the stuff that you're personally not as good at or you don't like as much?
1: Well, I think uh, and I and I can attest to this myself. I think you'll see coaches shy away from things they're not good at, but you'll more than likely see what they have been taught. They will. Change. Yes, Uh huh. for sure. I'll give you a specific example. So when I was a wide receiver in college, when I came back to teaching and coaching, I started coaching football and I coached uh, the receivers and I was doing the same drills with the same demeanor, the same tone as the coach that I had in college. And uh, one of my buddies, you know, we were, we were talking about, and he was coaching in Kentucky and I was coaching in Indiana. And he said his head coach looked at him one day when he was doing one of those drills, he goes, he's like, is that going to make these kids better? You know, and that, like when he told me, that, I was like, just because I did it in college or just because I did it in high school, does that mean it's the right approach? So I think coaches will get, obviously they'll shy away from things they don't know. So it's hard to teach something if you're not good at it yourself. Right. Is you're going to teach what you're comfortable with, which if you've experienced four or five years of something, that's your comfort zone. So you'll keep going back to that comfort zone. So that's what I'll see with coaches. They'll, they'll teach and coach and do what they're comfortable with or what they've been
0: exposed to. And usually that leads to uh, you know stagnation or complacency or ineffectiveness. But it also can be when you are around a good coach, you are in a good program, you are surrounded by the bright minds and you continue that on, it can be a plus for you later on as a coach. And I think we see that a lot when when uh, coaches from different programs, you know, leave and start on their own, they were they were mentored so so well, and uh, they can kind of continue that because they have a great knowledge base. And I think in strength and conditioning, we see this a ton with uh, with all the internship programs out there. With whether it's you know Eric Cressy or Mike Boyle, and these these guys go on, they're working in major leagues and they're working with professional athletes. And I think it's because they had such a great mentor, and they those defaults are at such a high level. Did you ever have uh, kind of like a mentor to you, whether it was uh, on the sports side or the strength and conditioning side? Yeah. So when I was in
1: in high school, I had a, my strength coach, which is my offensive coordinator. I love the guy. I just wanted to be around him. So you yep. get people like that, you're just like, I just want to be around them and just, you know, get as much experience with them as I can. In college, I had three different strength coaches. And all three were so different. I've, and I took from the first one. I took from the second one. I took from the third. All three were so different. But I learned, you know, so much from each one of them. You know, and it's, it's easy to go back and say, oh, I would have done this different. You know, whatever. They were all my receiver coach. You know, I learned so much from him. And I had him for four years. And then my last year there, I had a new receiver coach. Like, I, I basically try to take what I can from everybody I've been around you know forget whatever you think is bad you know don't don't dwell on that take what take what you can from each person that you've been around
0: it's amazing how critical we can be of uh, other people you know 10 years ago they were doing this philosophy or this method and then uh when you're when you're evaluating yourself it's like oh 10 years ago i was great and everything it's like no you're probably the same like, you've learned so much and you've changed so much it's the same thing so it's really easy to be critical of other people's uh uh, uh, you know, gr- you know, change or growth or, or development. And one and- of 10
1: years ago when I was coaching receivers, like that, I just, I, when I think about, it, I'm like, what's really important. Well, you got to run block. Is it so important that you, you know, practice that for 80% of the time? Probably not. So I, yeah, for sure. I When I look back, I'm like, I can't believe I did some of the stuff I did. So,
0: From an athletic development standpoint, what things like, what, you know, perform key performance indicators did you value when you were in high school, college, uh, you know, post-college and what are, what are the KPIs that you value now? Are they the same? Are they different? Uh, Let's go from there.
1: Okay. So in, in, in my brain, when I was young, I, I valued the bench press. I love those numbers, but you know, another number. So I don't necessarily value that as much now. Um, I do value the vertical jump. Uh, I have uh, a just jump mat, which is, I think there's better tools out there, but that thing is so quick. I can get somebody's jump, you know, right away with a just jump mat and see, I've been testing myself, uh, seeing the progress I make with my training I'm doing right now. So vertical jump, I think speed I didn't do enough of. Uh, and I think that is a huge, huge KPI right now, whether you're probably most people are into max velocity, but I think acceleration too. And uh, the other thing I like is, you know, can you do, can you pull yourself up to a bar? Can you do pull-ups? Can you do push-ups? Can you, there's some deadlift numbers that I'm playing with. And when I look back at my training, I jumped really well when I was hex bar and about uh, here's a, here's a special stack. Cause I'm a math guy, 2.4 times body weight. So I was doing some, some deadlifts and, and I look back at the numbers and what I weighed at that point. That was a good number for me. I felt very explosive when I was able to do that and lift that off the floor.
0: I like all those because all of them take, you know, push up, pull up, vertical jump, sprint, um, the, the trap bar uh, ratio you just talked about those all are relative to your body weight so that's a better expression to me because we're we're comparing i think it's a better comparison of apples to apples when you have athletes of different sizes different capabilities different ages um like with a pull-up it's like relative to your body weight if you're if you're heavier and you can't do as many like it's it's going to be a better indicator than if you're heavier and you can do a lot on the bench press it's like well how is that compared to to, to what you weigh and what you can, can expose. So I, I like that you're leaning towards that way with those and I think there's some good indication there of 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 development and change since uh, only putting out max bench press numbers. Yeah, that that was yeah. I don't tend to
1: actually barbell bench press at all anymore, so
0: I've gone away from that too and 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 uh I like this point because in high school like that's a that's like all I cared about. It's like and that's what I was good at, you know, I was good at. I was I was decent on squat and I was, I was terrible at cleans and those are our three big ones, bench, squat, clean, and I couldn't figure out the cleans. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't do it well enough. And and now I'd have a much better understanding and reasoning, but, um, we do like to kind of, to gravitate towards what we are good at uh, with kids training. Now, what, what kind of things do they value? What kind of things do they see themselves either liking more or or seeing themselves good at what you know expand on that
1: so when you say kids what age group
0: are you talking about let's talk so yeah let's be a little more specific here let's talk about kids who are starting to take training serious so let's say let's do like that high school and 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 refresh me if you if what age groups you do work with but kind of that ninth to twelfth grade where kids are starting to take training serious and taking accountability for their growth and development So that's when I
1: ninth to 12th grade, I think you can definitely start introducing, you know, speed. Well, I think speed can be introduced basically anytime, but speed, I think is a big factor. I think your strength is a big factor. So you can get in the weight room, ninth to 12th grade, you can get in the weight room, sixth to eighth grade. I think you can get in the weight room. I think ninth to 12th traditionally has been very focused on the weight room, which is, which is fine. Um, but at the end of the day, they need to be you know, most athletes need to be powerful, explosive, fast, agile. So, you, a bench press is a good number. I keep knocking the bench press. It's not that I don't like bench. I like dumbbell bench press. So don't don't think I'm just going to knock that. <laughs> kid, we got but, we got to make fun of something, and we all love the bench press. So we're not we're not anti bench press here. Yeah, but kid, but kids kids need to get stronger, and they need to. I think they can they can develop some tissue qualities from lifting heavy uh that will help them be more resilient in the sports they play and they also need to enjoy the training you know that's I, right if if you don't enjoy your training if, if it's you know so bad that you hate it, your your output's going to be down it's like if kids come to my classroom and they walk in like oh crap what's he going to yell at me you know today for i mean they have no mindset to grow so kids need to enjoy the training um coaches need to listen to them. And that's, that's a big key thing for me is, is to listen, you know, listen to my athletes, listen to the kids I teach and that they don't even have to say anything. You can, Mm -hmm. you can read so much, listen so much, just walking them coming, walk into the classroom, walk into the weight room. You can tell right then, you know,
0: what kind of mood most kids don't hide it. Absolutely. It's so funny. The weight room is just a place. And if a typical weight room had you know, a, a sixty-yard track and it had an area for plyos and had an area for kind of like prehab injury prevention and then had area for strength and development, then that's what we would associate with the weight room. But a typical weight room is, is typically <clears throat> just strength development, and those other things are something you do during track, you know. So it's funny that the weight room is associated with certain things, but it, it's what you do in there that matters and not necessarily what it has been done in the past. And and there's so many different avenues towards, and this is why I've learned the most in the last six months is there's so many different ways to build strength. It doesn't have to be with a barbell. It doesn't even have to necessarily be with weights. And and I know to some people that might sound, uh, new It might sound, you know, of course we know that, but I think I've really started to learn that you can get strong through sprinting. You can get strong through plyometrics, you can get strong through uh, different avenues than uh, loading up a barbell. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I
1: mean, go, you think a kid's strong upper body, go have him hold a pull up for 60 seconds. Can he hold his chin mm-hmm. above the bar without touching the bar for 60 seconds? Can he hold a handstand on the wall, you know, for 60 seconds? You, you do some of these things that you don't think are very important and you'll be able to tell who's strong, you know, relative to their body weight. So yeah, there's some other indicators. I think gymnastics is definitely an area that I, have have uh, learned a lot from, especially after college, and if you look at our gym, uh, the gym that I run now with my wife, you, you'll know that gymnastics rings are a big thing. i love I think they're a very versatile tool. Uh, I use them with my kids at home, I use them with middle school, high school, I use them with adults. I
0: use the rings with everybody. Are those and if they're not, give me some examples of like easy ways that coaches can implement gymnastic style, uh, exercises or training into their programs, regardless of what kind of athlete they're working with. Well, number one, I think I,
1: people do have
0: TRX rows. I love gymnastics rings,
1: rows. So you just set the rings, uh, basically if you had a kid standing, uh, tall and they put their forms, uh, parallel to the ground, the bottom of the ring should be right where at their hand level. So that's okay. Yep. ring. And then you set them, basically their feet are right underneath the rings and they lean back and they keep a straight body line. Can they pull themselves to the rings? Okay, good. You do that. Walk your feet forward. There's your progression. They can't do that. Walk your feet back. You start Mm -hmm. getting good at at ring rows. You put their feet up on a plyo box and it's a completely horizontal row. You can do, uh, so I've started studying a lot more um, Calditas triphasic training and looking more at, you know. Eccentric, is- isometric, concentric work. So, when I went through some gymnastics programs, you know, just holding my body above the rings, just holding that position, okay, and that's an isometric. That stuff gets hard. Or doing a slow dip on the rings, down for ten seconds, and then exploding back up. That stuff is hard. Um, those are my biggest one are ring rows. So I love using rings. Um, I think dips are. I, I sway back and forth whether I like dips, you know, or not, but um, I'll occasionally do ring dips. So,
0: right. And there's a time and place and maybe, you know, small dose of those, you know, it doesn't have to be, oh, we can never do these. It's like, you know, but maybe if we're doing them three times a week, maybe that's too much. Maybe, you know, people are having that anterior shoulder pain. It's like, okay, maybe like we should reevaluate what's going on in our program. I do agree. The ring rows are, are challenging because I, I know this from experience growing up We'd watch the Olympics and whenever the gymnastics were on, we'd see all the cool stuff they do. And then we'd go out to the playground and we'd go on, they had like ring the rings there, and we'd try to do just like a simple like pull, like you know, pull yourself all the way up and it was a struggle. And I was like, holy cow, this is a different kind of strength and and then we didn't know at the time, you know, like you know, relative strength, but uh we we it's like this is really hard. Like those those people must be really strong to do the you know, flips and turns and all that stuff. So I agree with you. I think uh those ring girls have a time place and they can really help regardless of the age too. You know, kids can do it, a uh, high schooler, collegiate and even some adults too. Yeah, and then like you get a collegiate level, just start adding weight. You can do a horizontal
1: right. row, you know, with your feet up on a box, add weight. And that's the other thing I learned from the gymnastics is these gymnastics people, you watch them on the rings, they are jacked. They have the biggest biceps you will see. And that's what Coach Somner says, uh, the straight arm strength, that they do like like iron cross so when your arms are completely out to the side and you're just holding that your biceps are are going crazy and you're just holding a straight arm position when we think just doing a bicep curl is going to blow our biceps up more you
0: know right that's the one we always try to do the iron cross where your arms are straight out we'd always try to do that and you'd last like a second and be like oh i can't do it so uh we got we got to work on that um or at least we should have grown up but I do think that, that leads to other, uh, uh developments and strength that I've learned that you don't have to, um, independently uh, attack a muscle to get it stronger or get it to look bigger. So for example, doing like an iron cross to work on your biceps, doing, you know, deadlifts to work on your biceps. I think growing up, I didn't understand that the only, I thought the only way you could do it was do bicep curls, but I've noticed in my training, when I focus on kind of those compound movements that individual muscles do either look better or they get stronger and I don't have to energy attack each one. And I think there's a lot to that with how, uh, how functional training has changed in the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I agree with
1: you. Uh, my training has completely changed and I don't do as much, you know, I, uh, like isolate my biceps, but I feel like I still have the same, you know, I, I I, I still feel like I look where I want to look right now and I, it, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be focused you know like I'm only going to hit my shoulders and and back this day my bicep and triceps this day so yeah the functional training you mentioned I, I I'm definitely ai definitely like and firm believer of and Mike Boyle is one of the first you know functional training for sports books that I that I picked up and read and really really like and and, and you, and from it, it's cool. Cause you start to see where did Mike Boyle come? You know, where did he study? He, it sounds like he studied some, uh, Verstegan, Mark Verstegen. So I started studying Verstegen, Uh, and then you look at EXO. I mean, there's, it's so many, it's cool when you look at like the journey, you know, as you transition in, in your, in your thoughts and your, you know, beliefs about training and seeing where other people, where did they learn from, you know, where did they go and, and kind of tying back to Twitter. I mean, that's, that's where I, you know, look at what people post on Twitter and who they follow and try to figure out, you know, how did they develop their belief system?
0: Do you think that helps develop your belief system and the why behind why you do certain things instead of just copy paste?
1: Yes. And and I do, you know, I do try copy and paste, but when I do that, it's usually to myself. You know, right. if, if somebody posts a, a training program, like, mm, that looks cool. I'm going to try it, you know, and it's going to be usually, you know right on i'm gonna try to do exactly what they say and like i'm doing right now triphasic training so in his book he's got workouts i'm trying the workouts so that's uh, i will do that and then you got to figure out how does this fit in your philosophy how does this fit in your beliefs and every all the other experiences that you've had leading up to that point
0: another thing that has changed in training in the last uh you know however many years is the emphasis on what we call a bold base the pillars of performance whether it's nutrition mindset, breathing, recovery, those are all things that have been elevated in value and not just the exercise, you know, the strength training, the, the weightlifting, speed training, you know, etc. Uh, let's we can we talk about breathing off air a little bit. Let's dive into that. Now, what kind of things have you found value from in focusing on your breathing, both for yourself and with the, the athletes and clients that you work with? Uh, and, and what, what benefits have you seen from that? So
1: What I used to take for granted that, you know, everybody breathes, you know, if you're alive and breathing, does that mean you're breathing optimally? Probably not. I see eighth graders every single day they come in and you can, you can sit them, sit there and watch them. You know, are they chest breathers? Are they belly breathers? And I will teach every student that comes into my classroom, you know, how to properly breathe, you know, using your nose as your breather instead of your mouth. I all the athletes that I work with and adults that I work with, we will work on breathing We will teach and and i i there's some people out there that say you know you shouldn't say belly breathing you know there it's it's a lot more than just you know breathing into your belly, okay, but for me, it's the easiest thing to teach right so they grab, when I tell them you know your belly should expand out you know out on your inhale they they get that I don't have to go through you know super Uh, talking about external rotation of your ribs or anything like that, you know, they just need what they need, the basics, they need to understand it and, you know, they need to be able to apply it. So I I did get my RPR uh, level one cert back in March when everything started to shut down. And, you know, that was one of their, you know, fundamental beliefs is proper breathing. Right. So I, I, I'm a firm believer in uh, that people are, just because you're you're walking and moving around does not necessarily mean you're breathing properly. So it's okay to go back and teach, you know, breathing through the nose. Right. And That's, I will yeah. I will um, some time stuff, you know, like five seconds on, five seconds off, you know, five seconds with three second holds, all that kind of stuff. So I yeah, I am huge on
0: on breathing. It's very similar to strength training where if you're not progressively overloading over time, like you're not gonna get stronger. You're gonna, you're gonna, you know plateau at some point. And with your breathing, if you're always breathing through your mouth all the time, you're going to have a plateau in athletic performance or in development or whatever your goals are. And I think the the more people understand that that it's it's that low hanging fruit, but it's also it might be the limiting factor between you staying healthy or, uh, you know, making varsity or getting a scholarship is because your, your your diets out of whack and you're not breathing right and you're not getting enough sleep. And You're trying really hard in the weight room and and at your sport, but you're not taking care of some of those bigger components. Going back to RPR, how often do you use it? What success have you seen with it? What the, what's kind of the feedback you've gotten from it from people? So I use RPR with
1: all the clients that I work with. So athletes and adults, we, uh, and I'll tell you like when athletes or adults come into, to work out and train with me, we will start working their feet. So usually I have some type of stimulus on the ground, the crossball. ball. I've actually started using wooden dowels and I, I like those, just anything I can do. They take their shoes off and they start working the bottoms of the feet. And when session starts, so the first thing we'll do is we'll do some type of belly breathing. We'll do, we'll do five breaths, standing up. We'll do five breaths, sitting down, laying down, whatever we're gonna breathe. And then we'll go through RPR, which for, I guess most of your listeners have probably heard of RPR right but some of the stuff i've seen okay if if a lady lays down and she does a active straight leg raise and then her hamstring is like way back there okay i'm not going to get a huge change from her but for me i i tend to have tight hamstrings and i can you know do the hamstring reset and i can touch my toes i actually just uh I had a father ask me. He goes, I, "My son's really stiff. Can you, you know, work with him?" And I was like, "Okay." And I've actually already had meshed, uh, had a session with him before. And he's like, "My hamstrings are tight." And I was like, "Okay, let me see." So he's laid on his back. He did an active straight leg raise. Whether that's the best way to t- test it or not, I'm not. I'm not going down that route. But I did the R P some breathing with him. We did the uh, level one on R P R, and I did the hamstrings with him. And then he laid back down his you know, got quite a bit better range of motion. He was like, what in the world? I was like, you know, it's, it it, it is. I mean, it's not, and they say it too. It's not a hundred percent. And I think, I don't know which one says it. If Corfus says it, or they say, you know, if you're a nine and a half out of 10 on, you know, hamstring mobility, gaining a half on it is not a big deal. But if you're a three out of 10, right. No. And then I take you to a six that, you know, that's a big change right there.
0: Right. Especially when we're talking about injury prevention or reducing injuries or just subjectively feeling better when a, when a athlete or client tells you, Hey, you know, I feel better after I do this. And it only took two minutes. Like, why would you not try to incorporate that? Why would you not try to do more of that? Why would you not try to learn more and and try to help people in that way? And something that's, uh, you know, once you learn how to, how to use it or, or how to teach it, it's really impactful on people, and I found that too with uh, people I've talked to, people I've worked with. That it, it makes a big difference, and, and you feel better, right? And that's, and you know, if you feel better, you're going to perform better, right?
1: That's a big thing. The other specific examples: I was training with some small groups this summer, and an athlete came in. And I was checking out his breathing. He's like, "Man, I I can't breathe. I can't breathe deep." He's like, "It's all in my chest." And I was watching. I was like, "You're right. Okay." So self awareness is good. You're not breathing well. Let's do the diaphragm. And I had everybody else step back. And he did his diaphragm. He scrubbed down the sternum, down the bottom edge of the ribs, and back up. And then started breathing. And he he was able to you know take some good belly breaths after that. Which that to me with the kids around it, they they were like, "What in the world?" And I was like, "Yeah, this 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 stuff is good." It's and I. I, I, I like it whether I go to level two in the specialty course, I'm not sure yet, uh, but I definitely have implemented uh, what I've learned from that course.
0: That brings me to my next point is there's so much information out there right now, whether it's books, podcasts, courses, uh, YouTube videos, social media, how do you decipher what things that you want to take time to, and money invest in and how do you figure out you know, what, what you need to be working on next? Okay, that's a great question. I got it. I'm I'm
1: very spiritual, so sure. I I I pray all the time that God, you know, tells me what I need to do next. What do I need to study next? And I feel like he is just, you know, along since I've grown up, he has just put like certain people in my life at certain mm-hmm. times to change my course or you know keep going to where he wants me to go. So that right now I'm just trying to listen you know right to what to what you know when i pray or when i wake up or when i have dreams you know what what does it mean what does it all mean so currently i am finishing up the speedworks course which i just followed up with the track football consortium Um, uh, speedworks course has been incredible uh jonas over there in england has been and the whole team over there their their content is good the guests they have are awesome uh and I can tell when it's good because, and I, I put this in one of my reviews. It's like when I go home, I have to tell myself, "Hey, turn the brain off right now, stop worrying. <laughs> yeah. stop worrying about binary video analysis. Be dad right now." And that, And that's right. hard because like one of the things I, I want to be about it, is about my family. So, you know, trying to balance the, the passion for learning, but then when I get home, you know, being with my family, being with my kids. Um, and if, if I'm not, you know, what's good is my wife will say, hey, hey, we're here. You know, put your phone down, you know, be with us, which is good because she'll she'll uh, she'll keep me honest. she'll she'll tell me, too. So she's not afraid to, you know, to tell me, hey, put that crap down, be with us right now, which is a good thing. And I I need that reminder.
0: Yeah, you got to have that balance in life. And, and I'm the same way where and it's hard when you're in uh, in health and fitness because it's it's around you all the time. Like if you're a nutritionist, like there's always food around. If you're a, uh, you know, speed coach or sprint coach, personal trainer, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's always people like moving around you or you can like move yourself. And if you're just standing there and you do some calf raises, it's like, Oh, like, uh, you know, how would I change this? How do I program that? You know, and it's really easy to, to get lost and, uh, and not be present. So I'm glad that you have kind of that construct around you, that family atmosphere to keep you, uh, to, to, uh, grounded and and, and present too, because it it doesn't matter how much you learn. If you, if you can't take time to enjoy the things in life that, that, that mean the most to you, um, and you're just not stuck in a book all day. So I have the same problems. It's really hard to turn the brain off. especially after a a stimulating conversation or, uh, you, you learn something new and you're trying to figure out like, Oh, well, how would I, how would I change this? How would I, you know, implement that things like that. But I think, I think that's a good point no, no. So with, with uh with your approach do do you feel like you uh you know based on your faith do you get more trust in the decisions that you make or is it more like you're looking for like i don't want to say like looking for a sign but you're looking for something to to indicate like hey like this is a direction i need to go or combination yeah it's a
1: combination i i definitely look for signs like anything that i can say like ooh that that's definitely my next direction um and, and when I look back, like when I really study, like my journey back, like there was definitely key markers. Like God put that person in my life, you know, cause I, when I first went into college, I did not go in to be, be a teacher. I actually went into meteorology. I loved studying, you know, weather patterns and every, everything like that. And I went home and one Sunday at one of the older ladies at my church, she was like, you need to be a teacher. Like just boldly told me that. And that changed the course. You know, I, I was like, I really thought about it. She's right. And I, I mean, I changed my major and I went into teaching and I will tell you this, you know, when I did that and I went to the teaching program at, at Western Kentucky, the teachers there were incredible. The some of the best teachers I have ever had were at that university. And for some reason, like I was meant to go through their program there's a teacher down there. I, and I, I have to say this when I walked in on this, uh, football player, you know, and I go into this science teaching course and I see the the professor and I'm like, and, and I, I was like, Oh man, this guy's a nerd. And he blew me away. I mean, the way he taught that first course, I mean, he hooked me from that first day. And I mean, he is incredible. I mean, he was in that. And that was all because a lady told me, Hey, you need to do what you're good at you need, you need to go, you need to be a teacher. So yeah, it's, it's kind of been like that ever since Is it, just finding, you know, people, people have messages for me. You know, I, I feel like God has, has sent pit people to me and, ha- and have guided me down, you know, the path that I'm on right now.
0: That's such a wonderful feeling to have and, and to believe in and to trust in. And whether it's, uh, you know, a spouse or having kids or a mentor or colleagues or a career path, just to have that, that, that belief that I'm supposed to be doing this, I'm meant to do this. And it might not, and I think this is one of the biggest things is we have this idea of how things are going to play out and when they, and they never play out the way we want them to. And it's like, how do we respond to that? Or do we keep going hundred percent in a new direction? or do we keep fighting to the old path that might not even be best for us? Or do we just give up because it wasn't what we planned when we were you know, 12 or 16 or 20 or, you know, whenever you, you decide on what your career path is gonna be. So that, that, that resiliency you have to, it, it seems like in college and, and throughout your career to respond seems like a, a, a wonderful trait that, that I think a lot of your students probably pick up from you and hopefully they exemplify later on in their careers. Yeah, and I hope, and
1: that's the one thing I hope they, I hope they know, you know, when they leave my classroom or my trains that like I love them, you know, like the kids into my door, I love those kids, Um, and I want them to know that I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to be continually learning. Like they know, my students knew like the last couple of weeks I was in the Speedworks training because I'm presenting graphs to them that I've never seen before, and the and the math that they're seeing, the science that they're seeing is like is so real, and it is so like. For me, it's really interesting. I'm hoping it's super interesting to them, but you know, I want them to see that you know, if you have me next year, it's probably going to look different because I'm studying something new and and being able to present different topics to my class that that I'm learning right now, which makes teaching fun too. That is a good thing.
0: We're all about a growth mindset here on the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Thank you, Dustin, for being a guest. Uh, You're an inspiration, and I look forward to. What the future holds for for you, your athletes, your clients, uh, your kids. You post some like best uh, kid videos on Twitter. So keep posting those and keep uh, inspiring them to to uh, value you know exercise, fitness, and overall health. Well, Tom, thank you. I had a blast.